Welcome to Construction Cashflow. In this podcast, we explore the stories, the strategies, and the steps to overcome cashflow challenges that often lead to insolvencies and the personal effect this has on business owners, their families, and the wider community. Each week, I interview a new guest to discuss their unique story of how they got to where they are now, the challenges they faced, what motivates and inspires them, and the issues affecting cash flow. Join us as we uncover best practices and bring about positive change. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to never miss an episode. Like everyone's suffering at the moment. So it's not just from a subcontractor perspective, it's also the main contractors as well who aren't getting paid. Project bank accounts will absolutely transform the way we work. We want to have a good cultural shift and that we all talk about a collaborative. You've got to do something with payments. And what actually kind of inspired me to do the petition was David Pocock, who's an Australian rugby player, really amazing rugby player. He's now a member in the Australian government saying that we need to protect subcontract payments. It's ridiculous. Project bank accounts are a thing. I don't think a new way of working is easily accepted in construction. Hence why we're 21 out of 22 in adopting technology. We're kind of a bit of a laggard, aren't we, in terms of an industry. But what we've got currently is totally flawed, right? You can't look at that and go, ah, yeah, that's... Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Because it's not, it's far from all right. 6,000 insolvencies forecasted this year. We're on track to hit that. So that's a good, that's not a good metric. We're on to hit it, guys. Unprecedented numbers. We contribute to a fifth of all insolvencies in the UK. Don't act on payments and how they are processed, digitized, and just revamping it. All, all this talk about changing construction just won't happen. You know, we talk about sustainable construction. I think it's a load of bollocks in some ways. It's not sustainable when you've got masses of volumes of people going insolvent. There's something that has to change, right? In this episode, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Chris Barber. Chris has had many years experience in the industry as a QS on both the contractor and subcontractor sides. He's also the co-founder of C-Link and Prosper, a digital automated platform for procuring and managing supply chains. Chris is also an avid campaigner for improvements to cash flow and payments in construction and has recently instigated the petition to make project bank accounts mandatory in the UK. So it's without further ado, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to Chris Barber. Hi, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Really been looking forward to it. So how are you today? Stuart, great to be here, mate. Um, I'm enjoying the weather. I can't deny it. Went for a nice walk today at lunch and uh, yeah, sun's hit me a little bit. So if I look a bit red, it's the sun. I tend to start looking like a lobster in the sun, especially if I leave my shirt on and the button's opened and then I get that red stripe down the middle. So more like a crab stick probably is the answer to that one. So <laughs> so, so Chris, so tell us your story. 
of how you got to where you are now with some of the challenges and some of the successes along the way. How far do you want to go back, Stu? So it's entirely up to you. You can start with the last year or you could go back to when you was in primary school. Entirely up to you. But we're all anxious to find out more about you. <laughs> we'll go back to kind of when I started out in construction because it was just as I dropped out of sixth form after the first year. It wasn't quite the right fit for me. Started doing accountancy. Really didn't really enjoy that too much. And a job opening became available. A construction company, a local construction company for a trainee QS. So they were a precast design and build specialist. I joined them in 2006, quite a while ago. Perfect time just before an economic crash. So that was uh, interesting. Actually, it was quite interesting when we started university. I did part-time QSing for five years. So I was uh, after the first year, the class halved overnight because of the economic crash. And it was, um, if you look at what happened then and why we've got a shortage of QSs, it's not, it's not a present issue. It's something that happened uh, a long time ago, back in 2007 yeah. and eight. Cut, cut my teeth there for seven years, came out with first-class honours, and I met Paul, my business partner there, who uh, you know quite well. Uh, moved to London and went from real kind of niche precast concrete to high-end residential fit-out um, main contracting. So you couldn't get two opposites of the industry quite so much in terms of levels of procurement, extension of time responsibilities overall just responsibilities it was intense yeah I went there and um, thrived in that environment I learned so much and those those like four years working with the main contractor I did work for were the best years of my QS in life I really really enjoyed it and the, I enjoyed working there they did things properly as a main contractor should they procured well paid their subcontractors on time which is you don't hear about too often. And yeah, they, they just generally, uh, those four years of just being a sponge and learning so much was really great. But what I did notice at the po- at, during that time was the fragility of the supply chain and how it lacked depth, that, like their supply chain still lacked depth. It was, we still had to go out, try and find people for tendering because they didn't have a developed supply chain. They had a few good people working with them, but as soon as they were busy on other projects, you you couldn't you didn't have access to them, so you had to go out to the market, and that I found that process really kind of fragmented, inefficient, taking a lot of time. You know, they were turning over a reasonable amount of money. That's what inspired us me to create Sealink. Came came up with the idea of how can we bring two these two stakeholders together, the subcontractors, main contractors, and and really connect them and and make that harmonious relationship and assist project delivery for QSs. That was literally the original idea. We then found developers were using that software, uh, the very MVP, there's nothing like it is today, very minimal uh, viable product as a, as a concept. And the developers were using it. We thought, right, we'll focus on developers. What do developers don't have? They don't have in-house QS expertise. So let's build them some automation around QSing, how to do things properly, compliance, high quality tendering, placing orders, all these things, and then automating that process. And it kind of just spiraled from there. What we also do as a business, we bring in subcontractors, that, and that is via Prosper, a different look on lead generation, stuff like Glenigan's Barber, where they sell data, and you have to go and cultivate that cold lead into a warm lead. What we do is with Prosper for subcontractors, we bring a warm lead to them, and then they can get connected and, and uh have a much better experience and high quality, higher conversion rate 
hit rate basically with their tendering so that's that's kind of a synopsis of how i got to where we are today tell us a bit more of how that is that is working today around c-link i know it's a it's a great platform and you know it, it links up supply chain with the uh, with um with contractors with developers um so where's the most interest on that is that via from subcontractors or main contractors or or development developers who who's your kind of who's it for who's the who's the key um the key client base there yeah so there's obviously there's the two sides so ceiling is the subcontract procurement and management system so we're working with main contractors and developers as a business they would use that software to plan managing their procurement for and manage their supply chain within that where prosper comes involved that's for subcontractors and what we do there is we provide them with kind of business development high quality opportunities to win work and that's where the the kind of two it's the same business but two different brands essentially but i found working as a pqs is understanding where's the weaknesses in their in their supply chain because i found that that's kind of an area that that can be the weakest link in a project could cause delays you know maybe maybe they've got a supply chain but they're struggling to get a, a brick laying gang if you go traditional route you've been responsible for the budget all the way along until you go out to main contract a traditional route then you kind of lose sight of the budget a little bit supply network is behind the main contractor there's different agendas isn't there uh, so they're looking to maximize their profit. I'm looking to keep it within budget. Sometimes there's a bit of a wall there. How do you control that that supply chain? Do you do you pay in a construction management approach? Would you pay main contractor a fee to bring his supply chain with him, or do you start from scratch trying to find a a supply chain on that particular project you know and i kind of see from from the work that you've been doing that you you know you're kind of early matching up but what would be the what would be the key approach on on that who who really has the authority over the supply chain depending on what kind of procurement route that you're using yeah so it would be whoever what the client chooses as a procurement route like you just said if they go so we've got clients who do cm in um, and they might get in some project managers and then build a team around them. Mm. Or they might, you know, have a main contractor and the main contractor then obviously uses their supply chain or we can help supplement that along the way. If I was a bit of a, a, my thoughts, I don't want to say advice, but if I was a developer, I'd employ a project manager. I'd give them skin in the game. I'd give them profit and maybe even some equity in like the business or how, how the deal goes. That's what I would do. I wouldn't employ a main contractor. I'd definitely go down the CM route. I'm a big fan of it because there's obviously merit to main contractors and how they and what they do. Can't discredit that. But depending on the size of who you are as a business, I do see a lot of value in don't going down the project management route, particularly mm. in the current state of how the industry is. Um, at, because if you employ, say, let's say, a main contractor on your project but they're being impacted on several other projects that they're working on, it could then have a detrimental impact on yours. If you go on the CM route, you kind of de-risk that. So yeah, big fan of construction management, as you can probably tell, Stu. I think we're both on the almost on the same team on that one. I, I like to look at it from a cash flow perspective, traditionally going down a traditional route. We're asking a main contractor to handle 80% of the funds, which are other people's money you know so it almost sounds a bit crazy you've got the financer and the funder that goes through this whole kind of risk profiling process and and then they kind of lose sight that oh we're going to pay the main contract and ask him to 
to actually manage all our investors' funds. Um, how does that work? You know, <laughs> it does sound bizarre, doesn't it? Really, when yeah. you look at it, when you when you kind of take a step back and look at what you're actually asking them to do. The only time I ever see it really is if the maker tractor is actually doing a portion of the work themselves. So the company who I used to work for actually used to do a lot of the ground works dry lining so they had those teams in-house to be able to deliver it and we were placing orders with real kind of niche things that i didn't even think you could procure like like level wallpaper we procured level wallpaper on one job it wasn't quite my taste but there you go um i went from procuring concrete to to level wallpaper so i don't know if that's a forward step or a backward step but yeah i did it you've got to pay attention to the the guys at the end of the the chain if you like you know because that's that's the bit that uh, customers see isn't it they see the wallpaper but they don't see the um the, the precast concrete bit even you know that's the main main part i you know they won't walk around the building and say mm, not too keen on the uh on on the, on, on the concrete there but i don't like that wallpaper you know so you you're in you know is a no win no brainers <laughs> at the end of the day so tell us more about the campaign to bring in project bank accounts because that's a really hot topic at the moment and uh, an interesting one and you know there's a the debate going on and it's been going on for some time i'm interested to hear where you are with the petition what's the latest reading in parliament because i know it's been brought forward mm -hmm. again what's the latest i'll take you kind of back to the start i mean obviously i work with a lot of subcontractors day in day out hearing their woes about payment and insolvency ultimately started making me think well, how, what can i do to to kind of help them really that's kind of where the it came from i've got friends with subcontractors i've got friends with main contractors but all walks of life everyone's suffering at the moment so it's not just from a subcontractor perspective it's also the main contractors as well who aren't getting paid and what actually kind of inspired me to do the petition was david pocock who's an australian rugby player really amazing rugby player he's now a member in australian government he was standing in front of them saying let we need to protect subcontractor payments it's ridiculous we've got project bank accounts we, we know they are working on public contracts over a certain size why why don't why does the private sector not have access to it or why is it not even normalized project bank accounts are a thing we've got a function there why why can't we use it or why isn't that even talked about so the idea of the petition is really to start people get people thinking there is a different way of working sadly though i don't think a new way of working is easily accepted in construction hence why we're 21 out of 22 in uh, adopting technology even though there's lots of tech around we're still way way behind and we're, we're kind of a bit of a laggard aren't we in terms of a, an industry it's trying to get people thinking that there is this there's a function that's out there that's working it might not be absolutely perfect but what we've got currently is totally flawed right you can't look at that and go ah yeah that's yeah it's all right isn't it because it's not it's far from all right Six thousand insolvencies forecasted this year we're on track to hit that so that's a good that's not a good metric. We're on to hit it, guys. Unprecedented numbers. We contribute to a fifth of all insolvencies in the UK. There's something has to change, right? And I just don't think if you don't act on payments and how they are processed, digitized, and just revamping it, you won't all all this talk about changing construction just won't happen. You know, we talk about sustainable construction. I think it's a load of bollocks in some ways. It's not sustainable when you've got masses of volumes of people going insolvent. Where's all that? Where's all that money going? 
where's the, all these businesses that are lost the materials that are lost things that are reclaimed plant being reclaimed how's that sustainable people who are beating the drum about sustainability i think need to look at actually are we financially stable is that because if we're not we can't even tick any boxes with sustainability so petition has stirred the pot a little bit Stu. some of the yeah. some of the chats that me and you are in certainly has some people have a bit of a purist view on construction which i'm fully down with and definitely with that camp in terms of how construction can be done can be done if it's done right like the way we did it at the company i work for it works uh we had good cash flow profitable business etc etc but the majority of the sme world isn't in that utopia of perfect because like you know good construction practices it's just far from it you're getting poor design you know if there's three things that i would say you could change in construction i would say from starting from the top i wouldn't allow poor quality design to be on projects it has to be detailed coordinated stop clients from skimping on consulting information because that is the catalyst for a poorly delivered project you have bad procurement you have conflict on site because there's so much so much ambiguity and ultimately what sacrifices quality time cost all there's lots of waste so the client when he saves five grand on his architect and thinks he's done a bloody good job is you know, a bit savvy you've just cut the job up like honestly because the, the architect won't is not going to be servicing your job like he would if you didn't hammer him down or if you just chose a cheap architect on a cheap route so that is one thing I'd change some kind of design standard that can't be amended that needs to be delivered I'd also move QS's and how they're measured on KPIs but they've basically got one KPI QS's and that's margin how much percentage have you made right so what are they going to do if you're a QS how are you going to act there's a couple of ways isn't there there's a few ways you're going to try and find the cheapest right so you're going to look good to your boss. Look, I found this really cheap, cheap subby, right? You're going to probably be aggressive to the subby if they put a, a claim in that you can't claim. You're going to be aggressive on them if there's a mess up on site and there's a bit of a delay. You're going to be aggressive there. You're going to be probably a bit aggressive upstream to claim your variations from your client. So I'm just taking from a maker tractor perspective here. So that's all they're measured on, right? If you measured them on project delivery, so was the was the procurement done to a high standard? Did they they place the order comprehensively? Does the subcontractor fully understand what they're liable for, what they've got to do, what their scope is, etc.? You know, kind of almost as well measuring them on nurturing supply chain and client relationships. You know, if you measured a QS on that, that I'd actually think they'd save so much time because their energy will be placed as a QS, will be placed on, right, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it so well at the start, it's gonna be tight, done really well, uh, I'm gonna place the, the, I'm gonna place the order for the right amount of money. That's not as cheap as the right amount of money, because I think that's, in, that's important. I'm gonna start nurturing my supply chain relationship, so I'm gonna to say to the survey that if there's a change for me, it's a change for you, and let's work together on it, and then let's, we'll help each other out where we can, and then with the client, it will be, well, you're not going to be fighting battles with your supply chain. So when it comes to your variations and changes, you're working with your subcontractor to get the detail behind the variation, et cetera. So then you present it to the client and 
the relationship you know no one likes to change but if you do it in the right way you can harness that and then the third thing which brings me back to project bank accounts is i would secure payments and digitize payments the way payments are done in construction they're the they're kind of the three things and i've gone with pbas as a starting point because i feel if you have project bank accounts it will be the fulcrum for a for a big change in culture so i would see it as when i just said sh shifting the qs's focus onto placing it for the right money to make sure all the you know it, it all falls in place properly you'd also i see a, a change maybe in procurement routes and how design is done and dealt with more in a collaborative way perhaps if you have like that cm kind of approach um and i would i could really see it so yeah it started to stir the pot a bit and i am all for like that purest view but we like the path of least resistance in construction and people are a bit inherently lazy so it's easy to send a lousy tender it's easy to rely on ambiguity to drive profitability right i'm going to send out a really ambiguous tender cheapest comes back i've got all the money so i can rely on that my own leverage that's a he can bow down to me it's easy to do that you don't have to be a good qs you don't even have to be a qs to do that and it's if you if you change the fact that it isn't going to be easy to do that because it isn't your money anymore you're disincentivizing it project bank accounts will absolutely transform the way we work and that's why i'm very much a big advocate behind it and i acknowledge that it's not just they're going to be it won't be a perfect fit and it, they'll obviously i'm not ignorant enough to think that there wouldn't be some changes that would have to happen to go with it and there would be teething problems like there is with anything but as a whole i just see it as if we want to have a good cultural shift and that we all talk about a collaborative you've got to do something with payments because if you don't then there's no point in us talking anymore I think Sorry, you've done, absolutely no I think that's sure. amazing because I I think what you've done you've brought it into the conversation again you know and that's what needs to be done because I think we're sitting at a point in time where digitization will come it's never been a better moment to do that mm. having spoken to contractors myself about project bank accounts or a form of an account where the money mm -hmm. sits let's say that I found there's two there's two camps there's one that says oh my god that's amazing all I need to do is turn up and build the thing, mm. right? So I haven't got to worry about robbing Peter to pay Paul on other projects. I know the money's there and I know the supply chain gets paid. Even if I bring the supply chain or the supplier network, um, I know it's going to get paid and I might get a fee for that, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work and long-term effort to, to mm. as you mentioned earlier, to, uh, to bring a dedicated supply chain with you to a project which is one of the key most valuable things you know so if a, if a contractor is really good at uh, keeping their supply chain having they've got a really good supply chain that that alone is valuable you know and i think we don't often reward that effort because it can take years to get a, a good su supply chain there but I, I like what you say about the measuring qs's you know, because I think a lot of QSs are not even measured. <laughs> Get away with it. Um, but, you know, just imagine if you could have shared outcomes. You know, uh, David McDonald said that the earlier podcast is that the whole team, the whole supply chain, they don't necessarily know why they're there. You know, from the top executive level to, to the guy like 
is, is, is putting the wallpaper up. You know, the, the mission doesn't get down the line. You've got this central kind of focus. I mean, maybe a project bank account. We have shared outcomes, shared indicators, and then actions coming out of that. So so a way of sharing. I like your your, your platform would be probably ideal for communicating shared mission, shared outcomes. Yeah, so you know both uh, myself and Paul, you know it's quite well, and you've obviously speaking to Paul, but we, like, we're trying to digitise and make it efficient, but we're still advocates of the personal touch to it all so with the subcontractors like go and meet them like have them a conversation see the whites of their eyes are they genuine got genuine intent to want to work with you or not because if they haven't then don't waste your time that's like that's how i we come from an angle and like similar like our message on the other side is if you want to get good if you want to have good tendering practices you've got to engage with the supply chain don't just send them something and then never hear they don't hear from you until the quotes due back it's not the way business is done especially when there's such significant transactions going going through and i think that's where the industry lets itself down is that personal touch and seeing subcontractors as a commodity almost that oh they'll always be there they're not i mean i think i think we've pro proven last year the uh, last two years that where it's been scarce there's such subcontractor scarcity where subcontractors have had to try and level up their game and make themselves look a bit more attractive as a proposition for them. I do, I do we're a big advocate of that personal edge and having like a bit of a collaborative approach on why we why we all here. We're delivering this project, you know, get it, sending that message right from the top all the way down. I, I do love that idea. Uh, me too. I think it's it's really important that everybody's on board and we all know why we're here. Why are we all here? You know, at the end of the day, it's our community, our industry. You know, as you, you kind of alluded to earlier, we're punching well below our weight as an industry in term of, terms of wealth creation. The cash isn't flying to where it should flow when it should do. One question I wanted to explore with you around project bank accounts, because it's quite topical, um, is, okay, so just kind of exploring for a bit what, what the objections are. So some objections are coming up. So some of the ones I've seen are around, are they expensive to set up? A lot of banks don't like doing them. There's trustee and trustee deeds, and so they run by a kind of a trustee setup, and, and we all know they have their own challenges. We need an independent certifier. These are some of the objections that come up. There are some contractors that they they do use the supply chain or the developers' money to fund their wider business, and that's how their business plan is. And they say, well, that's that's how we can. We, we can tender in a competitive way. So do you, do you think some of these, you know, it'd be good to address some of these objections and how we might we might uh, move that forward. And are there banks that, you know, are there banks, certain type of banks that would, would be geared up for this? And is there a, a much easier way to, we call it a project bank account, but is it, does it need to come from a bank? Because, you know, it, it's as long as a contractor can see the money sitting there, it gives them confidence. Mm -hmm. If a subcontractor can see that the money's sitting there, that the money's there, say inverted commas, a bank account. So, what, what, what's your view? Is it is it particular banks that are majoring in this? Is there an easier way to set one up cheaper? Yeah. So, good good questions, Stu. So, I'll, I'll go from some of the some of the the counter arguments. It's like being sat across the table from a. a, a Trading QS who's trying to throw a commercial argument at you. <laughs> Arbitrary deduct from your account, right? We'll, we'll um, both have a bash at this one then. <laughs> yeah, so I think first one, are they expensive to set up? I mean, you've got to look who's paying for it, right? 
is it the client and then let's take a step back right if they don't pay for it bank main contractor could go into administration then all the supply chain don't get paid and then the project's absolutely screwed is it worth an extra say let's say if it is two percent i don't know what it is is it worth that extra two percent for that client who is the one with the money right the rich person who's got the money right i missed a little working class person at the bottom of the chain you know that just to think about this person right you've got this person at the top of the chain who has got lots of money got a project he wants to make a track to do it in this scenario does he want certainty that, that project's going to get delivered in a harmonious manner to a high quality standard lower lower risk of health and safety um because the subcontractors are getting paid so they can make sure people are doing it properly not off a ladder 30 foot up in the air just because it's too much they ain't got the money to pay for a podium for example do you know that those kind of scenarios i think it's absolutely worth it they would have sound too political but these people are ones with the money why should they be getting a cheaper product or why should they get their product delivered at the expense of construction professionals and subcontractors because they're the one they wouldn't have it if it wasn't for us so you we should get paid for what we do right so if it is a leveling up of cost then it should be the right cost in my opinion that goes to to the client who who is the one with the money so that so that so my my opinion if it is expensive it's an economies of scale because there's not many back project bank account systems out there the more it's adopted the lower it the cheaper it will be right naturally if it if, you, if it was required on every project project bank accounts wouldn't be expensive to set up so that would be my argument that it would come down and if it is expensive then it's going out of the right pocket not at the expense of insolvency mental health issues etc that come with not getting paid so that's that's my answer to that point there what was the next one i can't remember what it was now <laughs> Um, so I, I remember once giving a talk to uh, some developers around uh, funding of, of, of projects and um, I talked to them about cash farming and so they hadn't heard about what cash farming is and when I was saying well you pay the contractor and then the contractor will use that money to go and buy a cash deal maybe a property somewhere and then they'll refinance it then they'll bring the money back into the into the project so they're basically the project money's going in, it's going into their operations account and the operation accounts are going into investments, which they're liquidating and coming back out. That's cash farming. They were horrified and they hadn't really realized that what they paid the contractor that's going out of there is going out of the project onto other things. And I said, mm -hmm. but even worse, I said, it happens all the way down the line. So the subcontractor, the sub subcontractor goes into their account and your money then is robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's going out to pay for their immediate costs on another project and so they were quite horrified and what you're saying about project bank accounts one good thing with a project bank account it would keep the the money flowing within the project mm -hmm. there are subcontractors when you get down to carpenters and and bricklayers that that aren't cash rich they have to pay their guys on a weekly basis they might be on a 54-day payment term mm -hmm. or something like that you know you mentioned about a kind of a construction quasi construction management and with a project bank account you could probably employ a, a payroll company to 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 pay the guys you know yeah. that's the main thing so yeah. you know that the, the labor is going to get paid for back when um 
Rudy was beating the drum about this back a couple of decades ago. Sorry, to, there wasn't even apps on your phone, right? There wasn't even, te technology was really in its early stages. Don't think it, iPhones had even come out. Sorry, Rudy, if you listen to this, <laughs> a highlight in your age. Uh, but you know, Rudy's a, like, and a couple of us like learning that ahead of their time. Really, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, just but really ahead of their time talking talking about project bank accounts, how big of a cultural shift, why the industry needs it, and uh, have had some really refreshing and energizing chats with those guys. But you look at it back then and you think, God, I can't do this. It's too it's too much hassle because we're still working off Windows 95 essentially. Now we're in this uh, age of digitization and apps, APIs, how we could link this in now with project bank accounts. So like you say, can you get a payroll app in there or something like that? You could really connect the whole system up, making sure everybody gets paid. The, the net effect of that will be massive. Uh, you know, it will only be positive. There will be some pushback from, like you said, the people who need it for working capital. But I think that highlights a bigger issue about main contracting generally, right? I mean, there shouldn't be people trading insolvently. I don't know how that's going to sit with some listeners potentially, but they effectively, if they don't have a project, they're out, they're out, right? That shouldn't be happening. It doesn't make any sense. And if that's a readjustment, because I'm, I, you know, people might be thinking I'm pro subcontractor, pro construction. I, uh, you know, very much main contracting years were the best years of my life. I loved it. We did it right, like I said earlier, and I could see main contracting. It, it been PBA has been really positive for main contractors too but it might be a struggle for people who've got working capital issues and that's highlights a different issue yeah. like we were saying maybe there needs to be a rethink about procurement routes and the margins that main contractors are making because i don't think it's fair if you set up a project where you're on a negative percentage on subcontractors where you're going to how are you going to act on when you come to do your procurement and how are you going to act when you come to payment? There's only one thing you can do. You can be, you've got to be really aggressive, right? So mm. a reframe, a restructuring of main contracting routes, I think could, should come alongside uh, the PBAs. And I really do see um, two-stage tendering working really well with it, with, with a PBA structure from a risk perspective with the main contractor and just how the setup works normally, um, that kind of closed envelope that gets put over here's the recommendations etc i could really see it working that's my that's my thoughts on some of those arguments that you've just put forward there is one good use case and it isn't to do with pbas but financial digitization that actually revolutionized a, a country and several several countries off the back of it have you heard of mpesa or mpesa no i haven't sit tight so it's an exciting story so uh it was set up in kenya in 2007 and it was basically vodafone got together with like the kenyan government i think it's safaricom or something of the business that, that's part of the government there and they wanted to come up with a way to help people out, out in the sticks because they didn't have banks necessarily nearby they didn't have good internet connection or anything like that but they had mobiles and they, they wanted to help these people get microfinance, but how do they go? How do they? How do you give these people finance to actually? How can they repay it when the bank is just too far away? It's really inefficient, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they came up with this way of M-Pesa, just trans, being able to transfer money um, to pay off microfinance. And then in like something like two years, they realised that something like ten percent of the GDP was going through this uh, M-Pesa account. They were like what is this all about so they unintentionally built a safe way 
for people in Kenya to transfer money between each other. So the Kenyans had actually looked at it and thought, oh, this is great. I'm just going to send it to, I'm going to send the money to my boss, like to, the boss will send it to his colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. And what this did, it apps it, it, it went the financial inclusion in Kenya went from 26% to 84% in 15 years. And it had wow. such growth. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't yeah. it? Such yeah, yeah. dramatic economical transformation in that country. But also what happened was the corruption basically stopped because the people were taking bribes, etc. because no one was carrying money on them. Mm. If they were going to take, well, cash is obviously is traceless, but the <laughs> if, you, if you're transferring it over your phone, it's obviously traceable, right? So it's taxable, etc. So corruption dropped, tax tax um, collection went up, which is really, really good for the country and the economy. So you get these things. There's actually a massive cultural shift. So when they, they rolled this out, I think in 2009 in Afghanistan, and they did a, a payment a trial on the, the police force getting paid. And they were when they looked at their phones, they were like, ah, oh, they, they've done something wrong here. This is way too much money. And what they didn't realize that their bosses had just been skimming off the top of their paycheck for all these years. And it, yeah. Wow. And, <laughs> so, that sounds, that's familiar. That sounds I don't, familiar doesn't it? I mean, there's some, good, <laughs> there's some good parallels, right? You could, you yeah, know, yeah. So, yeah, it stopped corruption. Kind of like this, it was a leapfrog technology in terms of how it transformed the way people were doing business there. People, businesses were doing. Um, transfers via M-Pesa and it just kind of unlocks this economy and if you look at how safe digitized payments affected corruption there was say construction is corrupt but it's maybe too harsh but it kind of is it kind of is a good use case really if you look at it and think what impact that had and you know it got yeah. so desperate in Afghanistan that one of the like the bosses was like of the police force was like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'll send the text to my phone and I'll, I'll draw the money out for you. Like that's our best friend. <laughs> <laughs> they are, but, yeah. you know, there's, there's naturally there's Luddite mm. anytime there's a new change. Right. And th there will be, you know, people and, and losers in a, in a, a new digitization of payments like that, that would happen. What's the alternative? Do we just stick with what we've got maybe change a few terms? Does it does it do, does it really get what we where we want to take yeah. the industry? And I would it, it, say no. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not sustainable as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, sustainability is is uh, yes, it's saving the planet, but it's also we need to have the means to save the planet. And yeah. if something like that, it, I think it's like anything. You know, with uh, any new thing that comes along, there's always going to be some resistance. And the initial thoughts of how it's going to work might not be how it ends up, but it will develop into something that works. Once it's been seen to work, I always say faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. And that's for everybody mm -hmm. in the supply chain. And it's really selling it to the those at the top that may be reluctant to to see change, that that actually it's to their benefit. They can benefit from from that digitization mm -hmm. and uh, it may end up as a project bank account. It may end up as a special mechanism you know there may yeah. be a special type of bank that sets itself up to provide these services you know just really niche just just specializing in yeah. in 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 running that high street banks you know there's still a lot of uh, antiquated methods that they they kind of use you just reminded me of uh, there's this developer i won't mention their name but 
<laughs> they're like billion pounds and they're still paying people by check serious doesn't get much more aggressive than that does it you know we could, yeah. if you're going to take a backward step that's it isn't it i mean absolutely yeah yeah i do feel quite strongly about it you know like you said it maybe isn't in the form of a uh, pba or it maybe it does evolve into a new kind of mechanism but mm. i do see securing and digitizing payments and having a, a kind of full circle of certifying applying and certifying for the value of your work being a big change that the industry definitely needs and something that will happen in the next decade because the tech is getting this tech starting to speed up i know i listened to the uh, episode with uh, nishant from end fund i know there's a couple of companies out there that i'm going to be speaking with um soon around project bank accounts and how they assist with like the administration of that so it's going to come it's just about when and if we can legislate it get it mandatory i really do or, or even start normalizing it so the banks yeah. start saying right i'm going to lend to you but i'm going to actually lend at a better rate to, to you as a business because you're using this system bank project bank account whatever whatever it is you're using that system i can lend to you at a better rate because the money's secured it's going to the project etc cetera, etc cetera. and what do you get with more uh, lower lending you get more lending you get you get more projects what happens then economy gets boosted it all kind of starts snowballing right if you just make sure the money's protected and going to where it should be taxes getting paid to all these businesses that go in insolvent they've got millions of tax unpaid paye unpaid all those things where's that we're going to just lose that if we, we are currently losing it but we wouldn't lose all that if we were um had project bank accounts yeah and i think at the same time on the other side of the coin there's a development in how we program projects in the past we there has been ideas around micro management micro programming micro payments but it's been very labor intensive and i think the technology is coming now where we can do that on a much shorter basis because there's always that case of the contractors qs or the clients qs holding back a bit of money just in case they didn't fit it properly and i've yeah. overvalued it you know so if we can if we can get certification on quality and, and progress in much shorter bites, if you like, in smaller locations within the within the development, then if we can satisfy that fear, that concern, that risk, then 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 I think that will also trigger faster payments as well. Yeah, it's quite it's quite simple how I look at it. If the money's going to where it should be going, then the world will be a better place, right? it's it, it, it just will be you know these qs's are, I, I am one right who have been really aggressive with their supply chain you know they're not like that normally you take them they'll be right you see them down the pub you see them at the rugby or at the football having a laugh they're just normal people but they're forced into this environment where they've got to act in a certain way it's very antiquated kind of values as i see it and culture and it doesn't sit well with the modern generation coming through and we look at i think we've seen about a 10 percent decrease in number of construction workers in the uk it's gone from something like 2.2 to 2 million and if we want to attract new talent we need to make this industry a bit sexier not the fact that we're fighting over pennies holding money back people are going into administration that's not an attractive industry to be in is it how, how are we going to exactly. attract these people we need to really re rethink how we sh reshape the culture and we're not going to do it with nice words and 
a bits of bits of piece, bits of paper. We can only do it with a kind of mandated structure in how we digitise payments. That's my opinion, Stu. So, how can listeners get in touch with you, Chris, regarding what you're doing, your products, your services, your ideas, and also to advance the the case for PBAs? How could they How could they contact you? I'll, I'll leave some links for you, uh, Stu. But um, yeah, so the two businesses, C Link. So, if you're a main contractor or developer looking to Streamline your procurement processes as subcontract management processes. Um, you can find us at www.c-link.com. And if you're a subcontractor and you want to find high quality leads and get connected to decision makers, you can find us at www.weallprosper.co.uk. If you search for me on LinkedIn, it's just Christopher Barber or Chris Barber, one of the two. I'm sure you'll find me. Time for a quick fire round, Chris. Yeah, go for it. How do you start your day? I vary it depending on what my day looks like. If I had an intense day where it's maybe gone on for longer than I thought it would be, I would spend a bit of time in the morning with my son and take him to school just to get a bit of that oxytocin hit, you know, like a bit of a bit of family time that you wouldn't get. If I know I've got something on that needs the best part of me, I will get up early, go for a walk uh, and then grab a coffee and, and get cracking really. And that's um, that's pretty much how I kind of flip my start my days when are you most productive uh seven till 12 and then probably five till eight thirty. is there something that you'd like to do that might surprise your friends and family mm. uh, <laughs> did have i did want to run with the balls in pamploma once uh my friend actually my friend did it um but i i had uh i had my, my son on the way so i thought priorities have changed a little bit so um yeah i don't know if i should i don't think my wife will let me do it but yeah that is something i would like to do still what's something new happening in your life right now oh uh the petition is quite new it's a couple of weeks old a few weeks old um very much kind of really dedicated on that at the moment so that is something that's new what does adventure look like to you oh so I'd split it out uh, work adventure is kind of exploring new ideas, testing that with people, getting their feedback. I really enjoy enjoy that. And then, as a as a as a family, it's just kind of a pretty much doing myself cheesy, but every day is a bit of an adventure. Obviously, seeing the young family grow is really nice. Go, making sure we have spend good quality time and go on holiday together. Name a challenge you overcame that changed your life. I would say it was moving from subcontracting to main contracting. I had, I threw myself in the deep end and it worked for me. And I didn't have a lot of confidence when I moved from subcontracting. It was a bit of a tough time and I moved into the main contracting world and it really opened my eyes to what I, what my capabilities were. Who or what inspires and motivates you? I think my wife inspires me every day. She's a, who she is as a character, how she just gets on with life is something that is always uh, something that inspires me, really. How, how she is as a person, she doesn't let things bother her. She just cracks on with things. I think that's, um, that's she, she's been my inspiration, yeah. What advice would you give to your young self? Uh, don't let people take your energy. And I think that's like personal life and work. Construction loves to waste people's energy. They love to have them distracted on something that's taking all their energy up. People love taking energy and just stop it. 
Like now, if I if I feel like something's taking my energy, just cut it off. Uh, sounds quite cutthroat, but cut it off. It doesn't mean that you never go back to it or whatever. But if you feel like it's not having a good impact on you, then just stop. Thanks very much, Chris. It's been an amazing interview. You've been amazing. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed it, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Construction Cashflow. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so, so you never miss an episode. And remember, the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows.